Good morning, ladies, and welcome to this year, Tufshin Pei, going into Tufshin Pei, Alice. We're discussing the Yemen Arayim. We're discussing Rosh Hashanah. We need a transition. I need a transition, so I decided to speak to all of you, and maybe I'll get my transition that way. We have to transition from the summer to remind ourselves that it's Elul, and we have to prepare for the Yom Hadin. So we're going to, so people should mute themselves, by the way. I just want to tell all of you, please mute yourselves. Um, the, uh, the, there's a lot of different things I want to discuss. Let's get into the mood of Rosh Hashanah. What are we supposed to be thinking? What are we supposed to be doing? What is required of us? And how do we do it? That's what we're going to focus on in the next two classes. And also we want to tiptoe through the machzer, and that's really tiptoeing because in two classes we can cover like a, a drop in the ocean. But today we're going to do the epic Alenu that I've done so many times that I am going to go through it again. I can't leave you without going through Alenu because that's the, the, the central, central focus prayer of Rosh Hashanah. It leads us to know how to think and approach Hashem. For a young girl, she should have a Gansra Fuishalema, Esther Peril, Bas Hannah Devorah, and um, we should see Yeshua's. We should see Yeshua's for her and for Gans Klal Yisrael. Now, we have a lot of questions to ask. I usually go from, we have to skip a lot of stuff that I usually talk about. And we're going to straight more point. During the month of Elul, we have people are coming usually from summer vacations, and they have to now get into serious mode, you know. <laughs> it's usually a transition from sitting by uh, water somewhere and, and then all of a sudden having to prepare yourselves to, to speak to Hashem, to, 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 to you know, give, to, to do tshuva for the Yom Nebraim. This year we have two groups of people, basically, and I guess we always did, but now it's like evenly split down the middle. We have people that have had a hard year, very hard year in many ways, and there are people that still went off to their cottages and had their summer. How do you transition now to the very serious, wonderful time of Rosh Hashanah? And believe it or not, based on Rav Dessler, I think I found a – this camera's driving me crazy – I think I found a common denominator. The common denominator is that in both cases, Rav Dessler says that it's not for naught that Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Nirayim follow nearly a month less than a month after Tisha B'Av, which was all the days of horrible misfortune for the Jewish people. And the reason for that is because when a person is faced with any kind of tragedy, they know they have two choices. They can either be very bitter or they can overcome and realize, Enod Novado, there's nothing else but Hashem. That's what they, and I think that has been the big lesson for COVID. Like we've had to, all the things that people were sweating over, let's say weddings is an easy example. People were sweating over the 300 plus people at their wedding and all the different, now if the decisions have been made for us, we're limited. We can't do what we could do. Other people are, everyone has been limited in some way, but some much more than others. And it more, it focuses on what really is important in life. Now, I always said all the other years that for those that had this positive experience of the summer, like it was all nature and the beautiful trees and the, 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 the water and all that, that in those years, the focus again led us to Hashem. If a person contemplates how gorgeous creation is, and really when Hashem made Adam and Chava, they were the first person that had Rosh Hashanah, their Rosh Hashanah was a perfect world. So, you know, so what was their tshuva? So Rav, da, Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Victor Miller tells us that the tshuva of Adam and Chava on that first day of creation was with all the good to feel like I have to get closer to you, Hashem. Because isn't that the meaning of tshuva? Tshuva is not a scary, depressing thought. It's supposed to be idea of lashuf, to come closer, to come back, to come to, to realize that, that what the main things in life are. Now, let's talk about two things. Question, we've, some of these things are, are things we've talked about many times in the past, but I just keep going back to them because we need to hear them, and especially this year. The question is asked, Rabbi Shol Salantar, I believe, asked this question initially. How can we call Rosh Hashanah 
the first day of Aseris Yemei Teshuvah, calling it the first day of the 10 days of repentance when barely a mention is made of sin in the whole Rosh Hashanah davening. In fact, the only place it's mentioned is in Avinu Malkeinu, which was added much later, when it says Avinu Malkeinu Chatanu Lefanecha. That is the only time Chet is mentioned in the entire Rosh Hashanah davening. So Rosh Hashanah is not a day of tshuva, per se, the way we look at tshuva, that you don't look at all your averis and what you've done. Rosh Hashanah has a total different meaning altogether. But it is, in many ways, according to most of the Bali Musar, Rosh Hashanah is more important than Yom HaKippur, Yom HaKippurim. Rosh Hashanah is called by many the Yom Hadin. This is really the day of judgment, the day we're being judged. We'll explain why. The Marami Prague says, word Shana, year, is similar to another word that is the same uh, root, and that word is Shinui. Shinui means change. Chodesh, some, a, a new month, is same as the word Chidush, as same as the word to make changes. Rosh Hashanah is the day we're supposed to, so to speak, rev up the engines, and we're supposed to change, wash our brains out. We're supposed, that's what Victor Miller says, it's the, the, the changing of your mind. We're supposed to change our whole way of looking at life. And it really impacts the whole year. You know, it says, Hayom Haras Olam. Today, the world was created. This is in the liturgy. Today, the world was conceived. Uh, that means everything, your whole life is based on Rosh Hashanah. Your whole year, rather, is based on your Rosh Hashanah. It's not, it's not just... It's, it's not just how Hashem is going to look at us, but it's also as if it's also the way you behave the whole year is based in your Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, with your, you know, we always feel that every day in the Jewish calendar is based on something that once was or something that's in the air. And what happened in the air was Adam woke up, first man, and he perceived his creator. He saw there was nothing else. In fact, there was perfection there. And there was purpose there. He saw there was no other purpose. He didn't have to cook his meals. He didn't have to do his laundry. He didn't have to do anything. So he realized that the only purpose that a man has, says, um, he had to, to work it and to guard it. That meant keeping the positive and negative commandments. That's how he saw his life. And it's interesting, every Jew all over the world on Rosh Hashanah feels aroused spiritually, no matter where, it's a huge percentage of the population keeps Rosh Hashanah, and it's the day you're sitting in shul all day. Everybody feels, you're, you feel like this is a day for new opportunity and new changes. So it's, it's a pity to squander that day. We don't want to squander it. You know, the, the Sisei Chaim brings down from the Vilna Gon, Ramban actually, let's start the, the Ramban. Ramban says that in the Torah hints all of 6,000 years of creation. You know, right now we're in 5780. We are going to 5781. I have to pause for a moment and speak about that for a moment. I heard on the Bitachan hotline that, it, that the, the, the Briskarov, the, the, the former Briskarov, Ravelvel, once told his daughter privately that he understood the works of the Vilna Gon, that Mashiach will come somewhere between Tavshin Pei and Tavshin Sadik. I also heard from the Chassam Cipher that he said Tavshin Pei is going to be a very bad year, and Tavshin Pei Aleph is going to be a year full of bracha. Yes, Hashem, let it be soon. But in any case, uh, the... the It says... out of it, Oh, another thing, that... that it, so according to the um, according to the Ramban, who says that you know the six thousand years correspond to the six days of creation, right? Until Mashiach will come and there'll be like a Shabbos forever. Five seven eight one is already if you're going to calculate it, it's already we're holding by Friday after Mincha. That's what we're holding by right now in in our in our years. So we're very very close. Mashiach's at the doorstep. And we, we have plenty of all kinds of national signs that are befalling us all the time, uh, international signs, all kinds of such unrest in the world and instability and evil and all kinds of things all around us to show that it could be very well a time for a new world order. Now, says the, says the Vilna Gon about the Ramban, 
He says, even though the Chumash has in it all the secrets of all 6,000 years of creation, you look into the Torah, you can understand the whole world, and Hashem created the world through Torah. We know that. That those 6,000 years, he said, the Vilna Gon said, if you're really an expert in the Torah, everything that's ever going to happen to humanity is alluded to in the Parsha of Bereshus up until Noah. <laughs> and he said, for those very, very like the Kubalim uh, people, he said, you can see in the word Bereshus the whole allusion to creation. The Sifte Chaim says this really is a parable for how to understand our year. Really, the whole year is encompassed in Rosh Hashanah. Rush means the head, the head of the year. In the head, really, the whole your your body cannot function without the head directing it. And when the head is, uh, you know, wherever the head goes, the body ends up going, right? Because you're directing your whole body with your mind. Now, same thing, he says, the way we put whatever we do on our Rosh Hashanah, this has influence for the whole year. He said it's like a seed. Inside the seed is an entire apple tree. However, all we see now before us is this minute, minuscule little seed, and it's going to unfold. I don't like the way the camera is. Just one second. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm this little ball at the bottom of the screen. I wish I could see all of you. I miss all of you. wish I could see you. Any case, um, all we see in front of us is a... Um, uh, as a seed, however, I'll sweat out again. However, however, even though all we see in front of us is the seed, the seed slowly starts to open, and out of it sprouts an entire tree. Out of Rosh Hashanah sprouts the whole year, more or less. Rosh Hashanah really is what makes the whole year. We're going to explain this in in many ways today, and then we're going to get into the Elenu by the end of the class. All right, so that's one thought about how everything's encompassed in Rosh Hashanah, and it's very vital what is done on Rosh Hashanah. Very vital. For example, you know we have this thing called the Simanim. We have the different foods we eat on Rosh Hashanah. You're not supposed to eat bitter foods, sour foods. Uh, you're not supposed to eat certain kind of nuts because nuts and gematrius hate. I think it's just hazelnuts and... Um, Walnuts, things that are shaped that way, but like, I know almonds are not called a nut, uh, according to this theory, and also I know peanuts are not in that category. But in any case, the, um, these nuts, why can't we eat them? Because they, they, they spell out, they have the same numerical value as sin, and by eating them, God forbid, on Rosh Hashanah, who knows? It says if you sleep on Rosh Hashanah, it's a bad sign. Or below we said if you need to sleep, it's good to sleep, because when you're sleeping, um, you know, if you have more strength to daven, then you should sleep. But if you're just going to waste the day, this day is the is what's going to propel us for the entire year. That's how vital the day of Rosh Hashanah is. The whole year dependent on it. Why are we having all these things? Only eat sweet food, and we're saying all these things that should be sweet year, and then there's the carrots, you know, is for merits, and all these kind of things. Why are we talking about every little thing? Because it's reminding us, it's prompting us, well, besides the fact that it is like a mini prayer, even more so, every word every word of Lashon Hara we speak on Rosh Hashanah, everything we do on Rosh Hashanah is so vital because it has a lot of meaning. It's the beginning of your, it's the way you want to start out your whole year. And it is so vital that we need a month's preparation. You know, we're, a, we're little people, but there were people, let's say, Rav Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld would start thinking about Rosh Hashanah on Pesach. He would start worrying about his Rosh Hashanah on Pesach. Rav, um, Rav Nachman in Breslov, they say, was worried about it after Slichas. Like, yeah, he would already be thinking about, uh, you know, Rosh Hashanah for the next year. I mean, I'm sorry, after, after Rosh Hashanah, he'd already be thinking about the next year Rosh Hashanah. But the, um, this is really our, our motor revving, the beginning of our entire year. We're basing our whole year on this concept. Let's get into it more. And we're going to talk about also why no mention of sin is mentioned, why there's no mention of sin in Rosh Hashanah, and what does it mean it's so vital? It says in the Gemara, Amr Rav Yossi, Adam Nidin B'chol Yom. Rav Yossi says in the Gemara that a person is judged daily. It means that God will visit him every day, every morning, meaning every day you're being judged. So Rav Nassim says, Adam Nidin B'chol Shah, a person is judged every hour. 
We're also told other things of judgment. This is all brought to you by Rav Desh, so this next little part that I'm about to say. It says, Pesach were judged on the crops. Why? Because it makes sense. On Pesach, a person should turn to Hashem uh, before his crops grow. You know, your whole year is based on how you, during that spring season. It says, Atzeres, uh, Shavuos, you're judged on the fruit because a lot of fruit has not yet developed. So you're being judged. I mean, you know, Pesach is more like the, not the crops, the, uh, like the wheat, barley, the grains. Um, Atzeres, Shavuos, you're judged on the fruit. And that's why we bring Bikurim to show we're grateful for our first fruits. And we turn to Hashem for that. Sukkot were judged on water because the whole Israel is totally dependent on water for the middle, the winter months. You know, in Israel, it barely rains in the summer. And only the winter rain is so vital for Israel. Anybody knows that? I was, uh, you know, you see in the, in, in, um, I, I have a friend of mine who lives in Eretz Yisrael who was in a real Israeli. And I once, once offered to wash dishes for her. And after that, I think she didn't want me anymore because I was using too much water. You know, I Canadians were just, we just use water fairly freely. We're not, you know, but in Israel, they're really, really careful because by them, water is so vital. And also it says that Rosh Hashanah, the whole world is judged. So how do we understand if you're judged every hour, how are you judged in Rosh Hashanah? And also, why is there no mention of sin? Okay, so in order to discuss this, we have to say a few things. Really, a person is judged all the time because Rev. Hirsch once said, what is the, what's a big proof of Judaism versus other religions? Judaism is virtually the only religion where we have something to do at every moment that's religious. How you put on your shoes, how you get up in the morning, what you say when you first wake up, what you say when you go to sleep, what you say after the bathroom, how you put your shoes on. Everything is, is so vital. And he said, that's a proof that we don't think you just kill time in between prayer sessions. Our life has meaning. Our everything, even in business, there's all kinds of business laws. There's laws about everything. And it's a proof that we believe that, that life is not just stupid. Everything is very, very vital. Now, when we believe that life is very vital, the every moment we believe there are choices that we make. I once took a course years ago. An advertising agency gave it um, to realtors. And they were telling us that a person makes, I'm, I, I may be off by a few numbers, I don't know. They said something like this, a non-Jewish approach. They said a person, an average person makes 86 decisions in a day. Now, I'm sure our Chazal would say we're making decisions every moment. Even if you're just fooling around in the country, uh, you know, there's a decision you're making. There could be someone that needs you. You have to decide, do I need this relaxation? Sometimes people refuse themselves relaxation. People need it. They have, to, they have to make a decision. I need this now. You know, I need that. Whatever. It's, we should have, be conscious. We're people that make decisions. We have free will. We're making decisions at all times. Now, so we're being judged all the time. But Rosh Hashanah is what Rav Dessler calls the Chira Klalit, or the Chira Klalis, or in English, a major decision. You know, major decisions really affect our lives. Who a person marries. Um, if a person got the big go study, major life changes. When they move somewhere, when they have a career change, when they study for a certain career. All those things can affect years of your life. Every, you know, major, certain major things really can affect your life. That's called a major decision. Rosh Hashanah is unlike all the rest of the year in that it's where put on a higher bar, a person can perceive more than ever. And at the same time, with that perception, he is supposed to make the proper choices. Every minute of Rosh Hashanah is going to unfold into your year. Now, of course, you can always do tshuva in the year. It does not be perfect, perfect. But we have to endeavor to make it the most perfect day of our year. It's the day everything we do matters. Everything we say, everything, our, our behavior between man and man our accepted, you know, the way we, we communicate with Hashem. All that is very, very, very important because it affects our whole year. You know, and this is the day Hashem judges us with that uh, raised awareness, that consciousness that Adam have, that we have as well. And during that awareness, what are we doing with it? How are we using it? What are we, you know, what are we going to do with ourselves? So that's why it's called the Yom Hadin. And Yom Kippur is just to clean up those things that distracted us from our main purpose in life. 
which is also vital. I, we need all 10 of the days. But the first day is where the whole beginning begins. The only other day, says Rav Dessa, that's referred to as Yom Hadin in the, like the Kabbalah Svarim, is the day of one's death. Now I'm just going to take us down for one minute, and then hopefully we'll go right back up in a moment. People think that the day of one's death is like the, you know, person finally is going to behave, you know, and they're finally going to do the right thing. But the last day of a person's life, sometimes um, it, it, it's really there's a light. You know, if, if, if any of you read about near-death experiences or what it's supposed to be like in, in, in the Gemara and the Kabbalistic Svarim, there's supposed to be a light and arousal and awareness. And then based on what we've done with ourselves and how we've prepared for that day, that's how we're going to behave. And it's a last-ditch chance, but don't think it doesn't come without a Yetzirah. There's the Yetzirah there as well, and it's right there next to the Yetzirah Hatov, willing to take somebody away. Revelia Lapian, I've always given a different ex example all the years. I'm going to give a different one this year. Revelia Lapian gave a really horrific example of two sisters that didn't speak to each other. And um, one sister calls the other one to her deathbed. She was about to pass away from this world. And what does she do on her deathbed? She tells her sister to draw near. You'd think this is finally she's going to ask her mechila. She bites her as hard as she can, I believe in the neck, if I'm not mistaken. Like, to that degree, a person, if a person does not work on their mitos during their lifetime, whatever you make of yourself when a person dies is the way we go to the world of truth. The way we work on ourselves is who we become. Now, we have a whole month of L to help prep ourselves. Now, we're two weeks away, but two weeks is still something, and, you know, we're, we, we do what we can with these two weeks. But it's something to think about all our lives. Like, if we want to engage in something negative, think about this. If you get into bad habits, if a person, God forbid, loses their mind, they're going to be doing these bad habits. The whole world will see them in the nursing home, you know. The, um, the, you know these, but even more so, they'll see us in the world to come like that. Now, there's a certain handicap that we're given. We have to know. God created each one of us a certain way. We're considered to be a lowly generation. We are not uh, from a generation where, you know, people, um, you know, where people, uh, you know, were on the highest level. Even a hundred years ago, roughly, Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz told his students that any boy today that Lestern studies Torah earnestly is like Rabbi Akiva Eger. So I'm sure it would apply to us. We're dealing with even more filth and horrific stuff in our generation that we're living with. Any Jew that remains loyal to Hashem's Torah and work, just works on himself. It's not results we're looking for. We're looking for the effort that if a person is self-aware, tries to work on their, their attributes that need correction, they work on their connection to Hashem. What's my relationship with Hashem? If they work on these type of things, then you're considered a tzaddik in this generation, and that's what that's what's written on our charts, so to speak. But Rosh Hashanah is where it has to begin. It's when you clean out your mind. I think Rav Hutner Zatzal said that um, that that Elul is the vacation of the mind. You have a vacation of the body, a little bit in Av, in order to bring you to the vacation of the mind in Elul. What is that supposed to be consist, consisting of? That's consisting of a person willing to to take their mind and, um, and, and, and just change it. What, what is my purpose in life? It's very, very relaxing to hear those words. If we worry about our purpose, all the distractions fall to the wayside. They feel meaningless. They feel like nothing. We're focused on our purpose, and that is what stands in our stead and helps us out. So, But Rosh Hashanah is the day of Bechira Khalid, the day that we make these major decisions, and that can affect our whole year. Now, the, um, I've told you this story from the Gemara before. Again, some of this is stuff that I've taught before, but I, I just can't help but repeat it because I think it's so vital. Abdesla brings down a story in the Gemara, and in the Gemara it says about a couple living during the time of the Talmud, and they had some type of argument on Rosh Hashanah night. Maybe uh, he didn't like the Farfel and the Simis, Maybe, but he should have, uh, he should have thought that he shouldn't have made a simus over things and he has to know that things are for fallen. But in any case, they got into an argument 
And um, where are you, what are you supposed to do if you get into an argument? Good thing in Toronto is you go to Shoppers Drug Mart, you walk up and down the aisles, or you go to Metro, you go up and down the aisles, or you just take a, you know, do some calisthenics. I don't know. You have to get away from the thing to get some air. But where would you go in Talmudic times? And it's Rosh Hashanah night. You're not going to escape. You can't check into the nearest hotel on Rosh Hashanah night. So he ended up in the cemetery. It's a true story from the Gemara. So what happens? He was in the cemetery, and um, he hears voices. He's standing there, dark at night, voices, and one voice says, come with me, and we're going to hear what's going on in the world this year. And another voice says, I can't come with you. I'm wrapped up in a bundle of reeds. And then another voice comes, what's going to be the success for this year's economy? And a fourth voice answers, this year, it's going to be a bumper crop. I'm just making this up. Oats. Oats is the crop of choice this year. He hears this. He decides he's had enough, and he goes home. And he makes up with his wife, and he just so happened to be a farmer by profession. So what happens is he um, doesn't say a word. Come springtime, he was a wheat farmer, and he tells his wife, you know what, this year, I, I just have this feeling I should plant uh, oats. She says, really? Oats aren't so popular. He says, no, 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 I just feel like that's what I'm going to do this year. Anyways, he plants oats. He has a bumper crop. He becomes, who knows, fabulously wealthy. And um, so the uh, next year, Rosh Hashanah, he tells his wife he wants to go for a walk by himself you know, to contemplate, he's bodedus, whatever, he wants to go for a walk on Rosh Hashanah night, and uh, he walks to the cemetery, of course, he hears the same thing going along, the voices, one says, come with me, the other one says, I'm in a bundle of reeds, and another voice, what should we plant, and they said barley, so he goes home to his wife, you know, and, uh, and then that year, spring, plants barley, bumper crop, becomes a multimillionaire from all the different choices he's made, I believe it was third, the third year he did the same thing. Again, a big success. Whatever it was, he was told to plant. His wife on Rosh Hashanah next year says, every year you're leaving the house on Rosh Hashanah and you're planting these strange crops and things are growing. And so like any good wife, she nags him and nags him and hacks him and hacks him and shinik. And eventually he caves in like some men do to their wife. And um, he, he tells her what it was, and he went, goes back, I believe, a fourth year, and they told him they know about us in this world already. We can't reveal any information. Very interesting dialogue. So the question is asked in the Gemara, do the dead know about us in this world or not? Do they know about this world or not? So, um, you know, from this Gemara, it sounds like they do know what's going on in the world. They sound like they knew the whole economic future, you know, the, 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 they can predict uh, the business pages. On the other hand, there's stories in the Gemara also and in Medrash talking about our forefathers having to be awoken in order to pray for the Jewish people. Like, for example, in the Purim story, we find out that, like, I think it was Yermio and Navi had to go to the Purim story and wake up the forefathers to pray for us because of the evil decree of Haman. So the question is asked, do they do know about us or not? Zervanus and I just answers, Elu Elu. There are some that know and some that don't know. So how do we understand that? So Rav Dessler answers, explain Rav Yanis and Ipschitz. Rav Dessler says that whatever you make of yourself in this world is more or less what you become in the world to come. So it's just like walking into another room, except you don't, your body doesn't join you. You go, your soul leaves your body, and whatever you did to your soul, whether you adorned it and fixed it and corrected it and spent time dealing with it, that's what you end up with in the world to come. If a person didn't spend time on self-reflection, on correcting themselves and on perfecting themselves, that's going to show, and that's what you're left with in the world to come. For example, he gives the example, the people that were preoccupied with the, the crops for that year probably were former farmers who that's what they were thinking about the problem is in the world to come what there's no crops to plant you can't see how you did that year they were preoccupied with it and it still stays with them but what can they do with it nothing people have any earthly desires where is it going to get them not too far 
And then we find that this one soul who was in a basket, a bundle of reeds, in the olden days before they mandated that everyone be buried in a coffin, albeit a pine coffin, a simple coffin, um, the poor were buried in, in plainer ways. They were buried in, in reeds. I don't know why reeds versus just being directly in the ground like they do in Eretz Yisrael. Don't know why. But in any case, this soul was probably poor, and this person was always ashamed of themselves because of their status in life, social status. They just were. They never. They were. They were. Uh, oh, good morning. You could come around the other way. I have. I have an audience. <laughs> come in the other door. Oh, it's locked. I'm sorry. I have an audience. I'll be. They get to see my profile. Okay. Anyways, um, so the uh, so anyways the um, I was going to say yeah. So the bundle of reeds means that a person was you know ashamed of their social status. It could be all kinds of things people are, and they didn't do certain things in life because they're always held back by what are people going to say, what are people going to think, you know. So all these things is what remains with us in the world to come, and that is that that is the truth, and that's analogous and a smaller scale, of course, to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the way we enter Rosh Hashanah is going to unfold, like we talked about the seed and its, its uh, breaking down of the seed. It eventually morphs into what our life is going to be. Now, of course, there's a judgment, and Hashem gives us the, the year that we wanted. This year, we have much more of a big backdrop. backdrop. Did we all know what was going to happen to us this year? Did we know what was going to befall the world this year we had no inclination, you know, and it just shows us that we never know what Hashem can do. And it, and that could be a positive, too. We never know there could be a, uh, all of a sudden um, uh, a healing for a certain sickness that people have. All of a sudden that many people could be healed. There's, you know, we usually notice the negative ones that all of a sudden there's this major earthquake or major. And it's always before Rosh Hashanah, by the way to put us into this fear that we don't know what can be with our next year. So we have to do what we're in the world to do. Now, one thing is what we focused on until now, and that is to develop our character, develop our character, work on ourselves, develop. But more important than that, really, there are three main focuses of Rosh Hashanah, and they all really come out of one heading. And that one heading is called Malchios, to make Hashem our king. That's the main focus of Rosh Hashanah. Now, that, so of course, you can't work on your, now we can work on our meetups. Now we could, they say basically, Chachamim have told us, Dali Musar, I know, they tell us, what's the purpose of Elul? Well, to prepare. So you have to mind what, what resolutions you're going to make by the end of Elul. You have in the beginning of your mind, what things do, you can introspect, see what you have to work on before Rosh Hashanah. Look into the davening. We're going to do some of it today. Um, and be prepared for the davening so we won't have, that won't keep us back from Kavana. Um, another thing is to keep busy with mitzvahs, to Im- just improve ourselves, just improve ourselves, do chesed, do a lot of mitzvahs, do extra mitzvahs that you don't do during the year, so you're more prepared for Rosh Hashanah. But what about Malchus? That's making Hashem our king. That's like the basic premise of Rosh Hashanah. Let's explain that. Remember we asked in the beginning of the class from Rabbi Yisrael Stalanter, why is there no mention of tshuva on Rosh Hashanah when it's the Yom Hadin, the day of judgment? If you don't do tshuva, it's not fair in a way. You're being judged and you didn't do tshuva yet, but that's not the point. The purpose of Yom Kippur, the purpose of cleaning up your act, the purpose of all the things that we have to do in correction mode is in order to have like a Rosh Hashanah relationship. Rosh Hashanah is renewing our vows. It's our anniversary. Hayom Haras Olam. This is the day where man and God connected for the first time. And this is when we're renewing our vows. You are my master. I am your servant. I'm reconnecting with you. I'm rededicating my life for you. I'm making you the central point of my life. I'm making you the purpose of my life. The main purpose of my life and all the other things that I engage in are just to keep pushing me on so I can do what I'm supposed to do with my world, with my life. That's what the purpose of the whole, uh, of, of the whole process is. So really, in fact, if we start getting into ourselves and we start talking about I did this and I did that and I was jealous and I was, and I was angry and I was whatever we did wrong, I was, I was uh, lazy, whatever it was that we, we have a 
things against ourselves for. If we're going to focus on that, we're missing the real major point. If there is a connection to Hashem, then there isn't sin. <laughs> sin comes when we kind of say, just hold back. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm engaging with my own personal stuff. No, this is a day that supersedes ourselves. In fact, we've mentioned before, and this is the big thing that we have to really, it's hard, it's a hard thing, but Rav Rav Nassim Vachvogel tells us that for the 48 hours of Rosh Hashanah, if we could do it right, and this is what Sadiqim do on Rosh Hashanah, it's you're in the palace of the king, and it's only the king, only to think about Hashem. All the davening should focus on you're the king, and I'm one of your multitudes. I'm, I'm a, a bump on a log, as my friend Alashon Esther Peril used to say. Um, I'm a bump on the log. That's what I am. We're just these little flies, you know, in the, in, in the whole work of creation. And we're just thanking Hashem for everything that we have, for the, for the fact we can have all the basic needs taken care of. And we're going to get Olam Haba, the happiness that God gave us the opportunity to serve him and to be able to enjoy this world and hopefully the next. And anything God does is out of kindness. He didn't have to bother with us in the mix. The fact that he created us, you know, the... Um, the fact that he created us gives us room that we should be able to be grateful for everything that we do have and that we should focus on what we're here in the world for, is that we want to make a relationship with Hashem, we, you know, whether it's good, whether it's bad, all the good, all the things that happen in our life that we should turn to him, and that's the point of Rosh Hashanah. And we're supposed to minimize as much as possible just thinking about ourselves. They said about Rav Eliasfei's Sechronel of Racha that his whole 48 hours were just in Kavit Shemayim. How can I give honor to the king? That was his whole, his whole thrust of his, um, of his uh, Rosh Hashanah. You know, that um, I had a friend, Alashalm Harrell, so I'm mentioning it. This is her granddaughter that's very sick. Um, she, she was a woman that when she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, she decided to take, well, she did this as probably before, and this was before it was popular. She wrote down 57 things to thank Hashem for. That she, this is what she did with a bad situation, that she made something out of it as a way to further serve her creator, and she didn't let anything get in her way. And no matter what our distractions are, and there are many distractions, and this year many of us will not be in shul, we have to make this a day where we're going to connect with Hashem. Now, you don't have to feel the connection at all times. Feel is not the point. The point is doing. A relationship with somebody, okay, there comes a nice, comfortable point where you could sit together and you just know you have a relationship and you feel relaxed when you're with this person. You could do whatever you want with this person. I think it's a little bit different with the creator of the universe, you know, um, but there is, should be an appreciation there of everything the creator has given, bestowed upon us. That can be there. And, um, you know, that, that relationship is what's supposed to remain with us for Rosh Hashanah. Now, we are allowed to make personal requests. My son told me, unlike other Shabbos, Shabbosas of the year on Rosh Hashanah, since the Day of Judgment, we still are, of this generation, we have to, we still want, you know, to be a good year. So at the end of Shavona Esrei, you can ask for whatever you want on Rosh Hashanah. You know, um, the... Uh, but, but not during the davening. We're supposed to try, and it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to try during the davening to just focus on you want to make Hashem your king and you want to show him your, 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 your awe and your love that you owe him. That is our mission for Rosh Hashanah, and it impacts on the whole year. The year Shemaim of the whole year is based on Rosh Hashanah. Now, just to give us some, this year we aren't going to, many of us will not be in shul. And it's a, uh, it's not going to feel the same, but we have to remember something. There's, I once heard this years and years and years ago, and I guess it was meant to read it to be able to say it this year. I saw this years ago when I was attending Yarche Kala in Lakewood when I was still married many years ago, and I found this little pamphlet in the dorm room where we were as a family staying in the Lakewood Yeshiva, the old building. And um, this pamphlet was written by one of the mashkichim from Lakewood, I mean, from Gateshead, rather, from Gateshead years ago. And he once said there was a year, apparently, when in Gateshead, many people came down with a serious case of the flu, and many couldn't go to shul that year. And this mashkich got up, and um, I think Yom Kippur, most people were back, 
and he said, do you know why most of us were missing on Rosh Hashanah from Shul? Because Hashem wants to see if we have Yerushalayim in our pajamas. And that means Yerushalayim is not like you're not going to feel like the chazan. It's a big thing to feel the chazan and the whole shul singing and hinei yom hadin and, the, you know, unasana taikef and all these things are really, really very awe-inspiring, you know. And if a person can go to shul, they should. Rabbi Lowy says it's more important that a woman goes to shul than her daughter. The daughter should go too, but basically the mother should go because the mother is davening for the whole family, whereas the girl's davening that she should, you know, succeed in school or some personal, more personal agenda because she's not on the madrega of a mother who's more for the entire family. Now, the so those are the basic things to think about. Let's get right now into the Elena. We don't have much time, but I will try my best to, to get as far as we can. Elena L'Shabeach um, was written, says Roshim Shimpinkas, when Yoshua conquered Yericho. And the walls came tumbling down. The Sister Chaim says that it was in the worst, lowliest place that Yericho is a place where uh, there was the low, very low in like Avodazara and in promiscuity and all kinds of horrible, lowly type of behaviors. And, and, and all this was destroyed, like all the idolatry and the, you know, lewdness and everything else was totally destroyed. We saw miraculously how that was nothing and meaningless. The Chidat tells us the Anshik Knesset HaGadola originally established that Aleinu should only be said on Rosh Hashanah. That's it. Only Rosh Hashanah. Um, and only should be said at the end of the prayer in order to protect the prayer. It's like that no one should steal what you've just done in your treasure house. To see, if to see the, and also to see the hand of Hashem in Gullus. Um I'm so done, I'm sorry, I, 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 I preceded myself. No, let's say back, back safe. Okay, Anshik Nesadol originally said we're supposed to say, that we're supposed to do Aleinu, L'Shabeach, only in Rosh Hashanah, in order that, because it's the main idea of the whole year. You know, it's, 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 it's the main idea of the whole year. It encompasses everything to show how we should coronate the king. And if you want to coronate the king, the secrets are all in Aleinu L'Shabeach. Yochanan ben Zakkai, later when we went into exile, he said we should say it every day in order to remember in Golis Hashem. Remember Hashem, you know, and protect our prayer. You know, that, that was the purpose. Now, the Chidah says that Aleinu is greater than all the praises in the world. Now, by the way, a woman is exempt from Aleinu. It's very low down in her obligations for prayer, maybe because we're more by nature believers. We don't need Aleinu L'Shabeach like as much as, as vital as men do. But we definitely should say it on Rosh Hashanah in Musaf. Uh, it is important to try to say all the tefillos, all the main davening of, of Yantif, if you can, to try to say all the Shemona Esrays. Um, now, so let's talk about the Aleinu and what it means. The first word screams to our generation. Aleinu means it's incumbent upon us or it's, it's our responsibility. We're in a world today where everybody talks about what's coming to me. What are my, what are my uh, rights? What are my rights? Entitlements. What, what more can I get? How can I have more? What we're supposed to be thinking about is what are my responsibilities? That's, boy, so strange on North American ears. It grinds on North American ears. The... Um, why should we have responsibilities? We even learn a small child's take into a bakery in the olden days when they had, you know, different kind of bakeries that there was really a real bakery. Um, and there are still some today, Baruch Hashem in our city. We have plenty of beautiful bakeries. A lot of times they'll give a little cookie to the child that comes with his parents or her parents uh, to, to, you know, to get the, to buy something. And um, often if the mother is a decent mother, she'll say, say thank you to the lady for giving you a cookie. Here's our, we have a responsibility. We can't just because people may have good things in their life, it comes with responsibility. Everything comes with responsibility. You see a beautiful world, says Roshach, it brings obligation. When we said, when, when Hashem gave the Aseris Adibros, the, the hardest commandment when the whole world shook was when it says, Lo Sisa Shema Shav, you can't use God's name in vain. 
Like, what is the world about? You know, that are, are we using this world in vain? You know, the, um, the example for this is Ham. Ham is one of the children of Noah. Ham was well known to be like the gardener in the family. Uh, he was a precedent to all the Italians out there. He said he could taste the soil and tell you what to plant in any particular area of soil. You know, he was, he was so into that. Now, the, uh, and yet, and yet, he was a person who could have worshipped God more than all of us. He appreciates the, 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 the intricacies, how soil, you could taste that this should be cucumbers and here should be uh, radishes. You know, to, to be able to, to, to differentiate, to show how there's such a wisdom in our creation. Instead, what happens, Tom is the most dastardly son of Noah. He's the one that, that, that you know, doesn't mind uncovering his father and all this kind of stuff. You know, this is a person that didn't utilize and also he was known, a lot of the Canaanite nations were for Ham. And they, they were people who were very into idolatry and lowly behavior. Well, here he was a person that could have come closer to God. He was like a nature lover, a tree hugger. And instead of doing that, he lost it. You know, it's a shame. But here we're told that, um, here we're told that we have obligations. Now, the nature of man is to want to avoid obligations. Rafa Krasinski itself says, <laughs> that a person, um, there's an argument in the Gemara, when does a person get a Yetzirah? Does he get it in the womb or does he get it once he's born? I said once he's born because otherwise he'd leave the womb. Uh, Ravavim Brzezinski says a child has everything in the crib. He has his yummy blankie. He may have his pacifier, his bottle. The moment he can climb out of that crib, he's there. He wants out. <laughs> Freedom, you know. Now, but our thing is we have free will in order to not have free will. We want to make his will our will. We want to get closer to him. And we're doing it through free will, albeit, which is a beautiful thing. But it's aleinu. It should come from a sense of obligation. L'shabeach, to praise. According to the Malbim, shevach means to improve. That means we should improve ourselves by praising him, or we should improve our perception of him by praising him. It's, we're here to improve ourselves. Adon <laughs> hakol. Adon here means my master, my Lord, my, you know, God should be the center of our universe, master of the universe. To ascribe greatness. Two explanations of ascribing greatness. One is that explanation given by Ravigdor Miller, and that is ascribing greatness means to to notice his chesed. We should be aware. We should notice that all goodness, all kindness that we have in our life is from him. You know, and then you know we're we're so busy when things don't go right. We're so busy complaining. Have we spent as many hours praising Hashem as that we've been complaining? That's a hard uh, calculation to make. Another explanation, there's no such thing as a small thing. Like we have to really, every little thing, all the minute microorganisms in the, in the world, like everything is a whole cycle, the way things work in a human body. All the scientists with all the growth they've made in their discoveries have still not completely fathomed the human body. Unbelievable. Leotzer Bereshis, to he who fashioned creation. Yotzer is present tense, fashions rather, creation, to teach us that God is always taking care of us. We're not alone. You know, when we mention in Kiddush of every holiday or in any of the holiday prayers, we always say, Zecher Litzias Mitzrayim, remembering the exodus from Egypt. Why do we say that, let's say, on Rosh Hashanah? It doesn't make sense. Well, there is an explanation. They say that our, our sla- slavery stopped on Rosh Hashanah, you know, six months prior to the Exodus. And each one, there is another explanation for each one of them, by the way. But on a general level, the reason why we say Zecher Litzias Mitzrayim is because what we're saying is, is that, well, what did we see in Mitzrayim? What was the big thing when we all left Egypt? We saw that God let every no Jew was left behind bar none every single Jew was taken care of that we have to believe that in our lives 
he's he's uh, he's uh, you know he's, he's he's dwelling in the heavens so to speak. But mashpili liros But he dwells with us. Every little thing. He's our personal creator and constantly constantly renewing, benefiting, doing things for me every single day. Now, I see I may have to. I'm going to go on for another 10 minutes, and then I'm going to stop. He did not make us like the other nations of the world. Goy just means nation. No matter how you hear it, people take it in a negative way, but it doesn't mean that. Goy just means nation of the Aratzos, of the land, of the earth. What does that mean? Rav Dessler explains. Now we're basically, this whole Elenu, except for the very last part, is going to be based on Rav Dessler. That's all. Um, he didn't make us like the nations of the land. There are people that are bound together by their nationality. You know, they think, we saw this more before World War II, and now we're all a melting pot, especially Toronto. But a lot of people still feel their culture is superior. You know, they have this thing. It doesn't like a more a person has a certain love for their hometown. You know, no matter uh, what it was or is, a person has a certain love for it. The... Um, you know, people get all into, you know, when it comes to, like, hockey or these games, oh, we won, we won. First of all, half the hockey players are not even from the same country that is being represented. Represented. However, people get all crazy about it. They, like, the, you know, sometimes I remember when they won certain uh, things. You're woken up in the middle of the night, all the horns are honking and everything because our country won, you know. And then people get, you know, even we know if we go to a strange country and we see a Torontonian, like, oh, wow, a Torontonian in this other country. Um, there are people that are just nationalistic, nationalistic. And it's not a negative thing. It's just they're, to get, they're bonded together through na- nationality. We, we Jews are not bounded by nationality. We got the Torah in the Midbar, in the desert. We were, didn't get it in Eretz Yisrael. We're bound together by our... And, and Jews can convert. There's Jews from all colors, walks of life, all countries, represent languages, uh, pronunciations, minhagim, all kinds of different. And there's 12 different tribes. Each one of them did something unique and different. And the reason for that was because we're not, we're not bound together by that common country. That's not what attached us, you know. There's a story I have to say that um, years ago when I was at the exhibition, um, that was like very Canadian thing to do every year, right? So I was, you know, there are all the Israelis, by the way, they see another Jew, they always say like shalom or whatever, like they also national, nationalistic, you know, but we don't believe in nationality, that that's the thing that binds us together. We love Eretz Yisrael, but it's not, it's not our common bound, you know, binder. Now we find that at the exhibition, there was this man, a jewelry, selling jewelry, and he told me the name of his company is Neely. And he said, by the way, you know what Neely stands for? And I said, no. And he says, Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishakir, that the eternity of the Jewish people will never lie, will never bend. It will always be the eternity of the Jewish people. He said, you know, Neely helped, I believe it was the Irgun, and it helped them, you know, before fighting of 1948, they were like this underground group that behaved. And he said he was so much a believer in what they did, so he decided to name his company after Neely this group that, that helped the Irgun. And I was thinking to myself, after meeting him, I was thinking to myself that, um, you know, <laughs> it's a shame you take this verse where Netzach Yisrael is not but fighting for the wars of independence of the state of Israel, you know. The Netzach Yisrael, lo Yishakir, is, uh, is the, 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 the Jewish people never stopping, the keeping of Torah never stopping. He didn't make us like the nations that dwell on their land. Some people have common hobbies, let's say golfing buddies, or people all like to sing, or they all like to do quilting together, whatever it is. The unity is not in a common goal. You know, the, uh, the, the unity is in something else. Shalai sam chalkenu kahem. Our portion is not like theirs. What's their portion? Each person has a, a certain way. Only they were given a certain portion, a certain destiny to serve Hashem that nobody else can do. And that portion, uh, for a Jewish person, is doing all 613 mitzvahs. 
And for a non-Jew, it's for doing, you know, the Noahide commandments. And we have a different portion than they do. That's our point. We can't just pat ourselves on the back and say, look, I'm better than a lot of drunkards in the street, you know. We have a different mission, and we're supposed to do that. The Goraleinu Kachol Hamonam, and our Goral, our fate, is not like everybody else. We don't believe in Mazel. Ain Mazel Yisrael. There's no such thing as, you know, your fate for the year, your horoscope. We can super, okay, it has a predisposition, but a Jew can supersede his predisposition. And um, a person has to believe that their fate is what's being given for their needs. When we say the bracha in the morning, sha'asali kol tzorki, we're almost done, five minutes. If you want to be more comfortable, you can sit with a back, chair with a back. Oh, oh, another Zoom class, sorry. Okay, so um, if a person um, if a person says, sorry, if a person's fate is different than that of the world, this means we believe there's no coincidence. In the morning, we say the bracha shasali kol tzorki, that God gave us all our needs. What this means to say is, I'm supposed to feel that if I have something even negative, it was meant to be. God wanted it to happen, otherwise it wouldn't be happening to me. It was, I need this. I need what I'm getting. That they cry out, they bow down to hevel, usually means steam or breath, meaning nothingness, like you're breathing, but you don't see anything. It's, it's invisible. They, they, they're bowing down. The world is bowing down to stupidities. If you think about it, we don't have to enumerate that. Varik and emptiness, and they pray to a God that won't help them, whether it's their lawyer, their banker, their stock maker, their stock broker, their poli- local politician. You know, that's, they're not, that's not what's going to help them. This world, we're just going to end up with this idea that um, the Medrash tells us in Kohelis that the first Pasuk in Kohelis, the word Hevel is mentioned seven times. Havel, that's one. Havalim is plural, so that's three. Amar Kohelis, Havel, and then Havalim, another plural, Hakol Havel. Seven times, representing the average 70 years in a person's life before they're old. And what does this mean? So the Medrash explains that Every decade of a person's life, generally speaking, a person has certain needs. Let's say a child between babyhood and, and 10 years old is all about sweets and about food day and night. Either they're sucking or they're eating or they're drinking or whatever they're doing. Now, the, uh, the, so the, now if you go to a 10-year-old and say, I'll give you a candy if you do this for me, or an 11-year-old, they'll say, candy? Today, especially things, have, things the ante has been upped. It's uh, it's where nobody wants candy anymore. They want wheels. They want an iPod. They want an iPhone. They want whatever they want. You know, that's what a person wants. It, and then you ask a 20-year-old the things that a teenager wants, like a bike or this or that. It's nothing. They want a car. They want something. They the stakes have grown. They said they look back. What they wanted from one to ten was Hevel. A person in their 20s looking back at teenagers. He says, from 10 to 20, uh, you know, I want a shidduch now. I want to get married. Once they turn 30, they said, I don't know if I got the right shidduch. <laughs> I want a mortgage. I want to be able to get a decent job. I want a family. Or if they have a family already between, uh, t- between uh, you know, 20 and 30, they want, they want uh, you know, they, they, now they have that. Now they want, now they want a, a bigger family. They want to support their family. In their 40s, they look at their 30s, although it's for the easy years. Small children, small problems. Big children, big problems. You know, they, they say, uh, you know, everything was so nice in my 30s, and I was always worried. And meanwhile, I'm in my 40s, and my 30s were so good. person gets into their 50s, they look back at their 40s, their sleep was better, their, uh, you know, empty nesting perhaps, and they're saying, oh, my gosh, all the things I criticized, all the hard risk with kids, I miss my kids terribly, I never see them. And then in their 60s, whatever it is that they had, didn't have in their 50s, whatever they had in their 50s, they say, at least I had some more strength than I have today. You know, in their 70s, they look back at their 60s. Hakol Havel. All of it, we look back, you only know after the fact that all the things we all got all upset, worked up about, were nothing. That represents the representation of life in general. 
They bowed down to Hevel, Hevel, to vanity, to emptiness. And they, they, they look for things that don't help them. But we, uh, you know, but we bend, we, we give in, we bow down. And then we finally, by bowing down, we are able to, um, our, to our actions. And then we can finally agree, we can finally admit that Hashem and awareness that, uh, that Shem is the king of all of us. And we'll go through the end of it next week. Uh, I only need about 10 minutes for that. And then we're going to do Zichronos and Shokros as well. And I know we're short on time, but I hope I've packed in enough information for us to have something to chew on and think about in the next week. I thank you so much for listening, and it's been my pleasure to come back to you. And I'm a little rusty to admit, um, you know, like it's been like in, we've been in seclusion for a long time, and it's a little different this year than other years. But I wanted to thank you all for being here, and thank you for listening. 